This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast on MarketScale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest growing markets. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Stepping into high school, Jordan Mack wanted a way to feel confident. It was the perfect time to reinvent himself. And what better place to do that than at the mall? Years of school uniforms made him look to a solid fit as being the thing to make him stand out. And as soon as he put together some of his favorite pieces at American Eagle that day, he found the confidence he was looking for. Now he's bringing that passion for fashion to the industry. And on today's retail episode of Wildfire, Jordan dives into the social and data-driven trends that push fashion through its ever-cyclical loop, how a younger generation is changing the definition of menswear, and the ecological responsibility retail brands have as they look to expand at unprecedented rates. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Daniel. How's it going for you? I'm great. Uh, I know you just moved to Portland. Mm-hmm. That's an exciting uh, life milestone. <laughs> Thank you. It's been pretty nice so far. A couple of hiccups, but there always are, aren't there? Yeah, no, moving. Uh, I recently moved a little closer to my job and I'm still unpacking. So, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's been like two weeks. So it's not oh really uh, that smooth of a process. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into it, I got to know, what are you wearing? All right, do you have on some nice designer clothes <laughs> on? Because I know we, uh, we're we diving into fashion, so I got to know, what is the fit today? Okay, um, well, I have a white button-up from H&M with my sleeves rolled up, and then um, nice. also some slim fit dark blue jeans from H&M, and yes. a pair of light brown boat shoes from H&M. <laughs> is, this, is this podcast sponsored by H&M? <laughs> is this sponsored to you by H&M? Find your style. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, I mean, that's that's a great fit. I've got my cuffed jeans on too. Nice, my, nice. But these are all from Kohl's. My whole outfit is from Kohl's. So. Also sponsored by Kohl's. Also sponsored by Kohl's, right? <laughs> love it. Okay, so I want to dive into a little bit more about your love for retail, your love for fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know it's your bread and butter. It's what you live and breathe. So when did fashion become that thing that motivates you to like get up every morning and it's what you <laughs> want to do as a career? Sure. Um, well, going way, way back, um, it was probably a week or so before I started high school. And in middle school, I had uniforms and I mean, I was bullied a lot. And so I wanted a way in high school to kind of stand out and find a little more comp- more confidence in myself. And so <laughs> I headed to the mall and there was a super nice employee at a clothing store that kind of helped me come out of my shell and helped me find some pieces that I felt really confident in. And having that feeling and having that connection just even momentarily with someone at this store that I didn't know who was able to make me feel better about myself and going into high school. I mean, that's kind of tricky for everyone. You know, that's like a weird age. Um, It just felt really good. And so then I started researching more. Okay. What does fashion mean? What does retail mean? Cause you say fashion 
And people think like immediately my mind at least goes to, you know, the real wild designs you see on like a runway that nobody's wearing. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. Like a like a suit made out of CDs or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Maybe um, a meat meat dress, if you remember that. (laughs) Yes, my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) But anybody that wears any type of material is a part of the fashion industry. And so after doing some research and finding how approachable the industry was and what all it entailed, that's kind of how I fell down the rabbit hole into my current life here in Portland. Yeah. And now here you are. And here I am. Yeah. So you're an associate merchant at Nike. So yes. walk me through a little bit of now what you're doing. Like with with all that love and that passion for the industry, how are you applying that at your position? So my job is an associate merchant at Nike for the global football, which is soccer. And I work with the apparel and the gear. So the jerseys and shorts all the way to bags, cleats, shin guards, uh, things like that. And so I'll be working with the sales data of about 30 stores and seeing what's selling well, what's not. And then making decisions on the styles that we want to include in those stores. So if I see that in store one, Red is a popular color. Okay, I might take that and order a variety of red soccer socks, if that makes sense. And so it's a lot of trend forecasting. It's a lot of data analytics. And those are words that you don't usually think of when you think fashion and sportswear or athletic wear is still fashion. It's still something that people are putting on their bodies to live their lives and so yeah that's uh kind of my role taking that fashion forecasting that idea of what do people want what will make them look uh look good and feel good and then getting those designs in stores for those people to buy yeah yeah that that whole back end of retail and fashion really interests me and we're going to dive into that a little later in the podcast. Um, but you know, what, what it sounds like is what really drew you to the industry and what makes you passionate about fashion is that confidence side of things. I mean, do you feel like that is the core of the fashion industry is finding new pieces for everyone and, and everyone sort of finding their confidence in what they wear? Yes. I'd say for the majority of people, that's where it comes from. If you're on the consumer side, It's all about what makes you confident. What are you going to dawn on your body and go out into the world and have that say for you? Because as superficial or or shallow as it may seem, we all judge people um, as soon as we see them. Like it's just human nature. And so what you're wearing, what you're choosing to showcase to the world, that definitely plays a part of it. Clothing is going to be a big part of that. On the other side, if you were more of a creative and on the um, production side, that confidence may not be as much of a factor as much as, as creative expression. But definitely for you and I, for anybody listening, it's probably going to be that confidence side. Definitely. And I feel like what people are confident in wearing has changed a lot or, you know, maybe like what people feel confident in 
uh, I don't know, like re- representing like, okay, I'm, I'm wearing something that is acceptable for the current standards of society or, or something like that. Um, like that is – that's really interesting and I think it showcases a lot of changes within just our whole culture in general. So I, I don't know. What have you seen mm-hmm. since you've been interested in fashion? Like since you went to that first mall and you picked out your first fit that was like, wow, I feel uh, – I feel really confident in this to now. (laughs) How have you seen men's fashion? I think really in general is the one that has changed the most change. Good question. I'd say men are less afraid now than they were to experiment with color and with silhouette. So I remember before, like way back when I might have been a bit nervous to wear pink or to wear shorts that were above the knee, something like that. And now, I mean, I, I have a pair of pink shorts hanging in my closet that, you know, hit mid-thigh and that's totally fine. With men's, fa- <laughs> with men's fashion, you're seeing a lot of um, attention being directed to it because of changing uh, societal norms or what's considered mm-hmm. um, acceptable or even just based in trend, what's considered trendy. Right. The biggest things, yeah, I'd say were just color. And uh, silhouette for men. Hmm. And why do you think what's trendy has changed? I mean, like, how, do you think it's just been a natural shift in what's acceptable? Or do you think that it's it's a reflection of maybe some bigger changes just within society in general? Mm, I'd say a bit of both. There's always a, a trend lifestyle that happens. And so something happens, starts as a fad and then it becomes trendy and then it becomes uh, mainstream and then it kind of filters out. And you see that with things all the time, like bucket hats, for example. <laughs> Those were really popular for a while years ago. Got really big, fell out. Here we are again. They're falling out. But then I would also just say uh, as a culture, as society, things are shifting. Men are... Um, it's becoming less of a stigma to express emotion, to express identity, to want to look polished and clean. And while it's not perfect, there aren't any sort of yeah. stereotypes or, or stigmas that may still get attached to men who choose to invest so much in their fashion. It's gotten a lot better. And that's been really exciting and kind of rewarding and kind of a relief um, to see happen. Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like it's also a representation of how at least our society maybe just the global culture in general is becoming more accepting in general or is just expanding their viewpoints on what is um, quote unquote normal. You know, like like I think that whole concept of normal is sort of dissipating and that People are expressing themselves and everyone's being much more unique in the way they dress, uh, in being able to express themselves like with, whether it's their sexuality or whether it's um, uh, whether it's like uh, ethnicity and culture with uh, the country you're from, that your family's from, you know, being more accepting just, just in every kind of way. I think we're seeing that a lot. And I mean it's not perfect. I'm not saying that everything is solved but at the same time <laughs> – I, I think that is kind of representative of that fashion trend too and that you're seeing people be able to just sort of step out on the street, wear more eclectic clothes and it just be acceptable and it be like, oh, wow, they have a really trendy 
fashion sense and they know what they feel comfortable in and people are accepting that more and, and finding more value in that. And that's that's really cool to me. Absolutely. That's actually a very good point that um, we've studied in college was there's this researcher called Hofstad and Hofstad had these six sort of pillars of um, or these six dimensions of culture. And so they included things like individualism, masculinity, um, power, distance, indulgence, and all of these focused really on like how people behave. And with the world becoming so globalized and fashion always being so global and a mixing of cultures all over the world, you start to see these factors really kind of start to affect each other. So whereas America might see masculinity in one way, people in another country might see it as totally different or not as important. And so with globalization and people moving all over the place, those expectations kind of meet and right. uh, balance each other out. And that's reflected in fashion. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's almost like a, it's almost a microcosm of the way the rest of the world is changing. Yeah. <laughs> microcosm, exactly. Yeah. Big words. <laughs> Big words. Yeah, and I feel like that whole trend, too, is sort of representative of a younger generation, too. Like, I think it can be attributed a lot to styles and um, and methodologies and mentalities that a younger generation is pushing throughout the world. Mm. Um, you know, I think a lot of young people entering the workforce now, I mean, the back end of the millennial generation – it has grown up, uh, I think, more accepting of things like that and more open-minded just because of the way culture has shifted. And so now they have some of the power in the way that things are advertised, the way things are styled, things are marketed. Uh, and I think that's that's now reflecting. You know, like we're starting to see that mentality have a direct effect on how things are put in front of people's eyes. It's mm. not just a mentality anymore. You can see it tangibly. Exactly. And – you can see that in uh, everything from politics to what is played on TV, what songs are written about, and fashion is just one of those um, dimensions of change. And um, like you said, this generation going forward is going to be very impactful on what is considered in vogue and what is considered not. Yeah. What are some and you know what? Let's just transition into that. What is in vogue right now? Like what is <laughs> I'd I'd love to know. Like what is one of those things right now that is really hot? Um a lot of people are wearing it and maybe is representative of some of those changes in redefining what is considered menswear or masculinity, you know, some some new trendy thing that um that is really representative of that shift. I'd say a big one that's kind of a, an example of just the trend is that pastels have <laughs> been huge for a while. And you're seeing that in men's wear a lot. So especially in these warmer weather days, it's not uncommon to see these pastel colored um, basics, polos, shirts, pants, uh, the chinos. But then even you'll see start to see soft pink, soft blues. and blazers and pants and these linens that help people that help men feel cooler in the hot weather and then but are in these colors that are soft that are muted and that's not something that we've always seen it's usually you know very simple black suit um black suit 
white shirt, black bow tie, or sorry, black tie. And that was the look. But even at black tie events at the Met Gala, you see people experimenting with like a velvet suit coat or um, a suit coat and these pastel colors, like I said. It's very uh, subtle, but that's how all trends start is kind of in subtlety. Hmm. And what are your thoughts on that trend? I mean, do you like that? Do you like that push? Do you think it's uh, Do you think it's something that is here to stay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think... As time goes on, you're going to see a lot more change or in surprise in what might be considered your tradition. What is a traditional look? We hear that word a lot. Traditional. Um, yeah. And there's going to be a right. Like what? What does that really mean? Right. Right. Especially these days, there's so many. There's such a. And this might be a an American based viewpoint, you know, we're very individualistic. We're very about expressing ourselves and kind of being fearless in us. And that's going to reflect in, in fashion for men and women. You're going to start seeing this push and these surprises in what is considered traditional. So, I mean, you see examples on like the, the Met Gala. If you watch that, there's a ton of, wild styles that come out of that who's to say that pretty soon those wild styles aren't going to be commonplace right i like yeah. it yeah i mean i i do too i love uh i love some nice pastel colors some interesting clothes um i'm i'm down to experiment to try do some it. new things do so it. i'm all, i'm all here for these changes in fashion and what is considered socially acceptable because um i mean yeah like you were talking about the 80s it's really interesting like when you look back at pictures of just dudes chilling around in the 80s they were wearing the shortest jean shorts mm -hmm. and crop top shirts yep and like that was the masculine look yeah they were the pinnacle of masculinity it's it's interesting how things shift and then how they are cyclical too and how things come back when people realize oh actually I don't know why that went away. I'm 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 interested in that now. Completely cyclical. And I'm sure in a while here we're going to see a resurgence of resurgence of another trend. There's kind of this joke in the fashion industry where you bring something back from fifty years ago and it's charming. And if you bring something back from twenty years ago, it's tacky. So every few years we're kind of just re rebirthing what has already been has already gone through an entire cycle when it comes back it gets a fresh take and then honestly it ends up becoming something new right it's like you can see the resemblance but it ends up breathing a life of its own because there are people in the industry that mm -hmm. that will find ways to innovate with that resurgence of style so yeah that's that's it's so cool it's so cool to see the like you said the tradition like in that sense that yes there is tradition uh, you see some of that rebirth exactly um in what's modern and trendy now but you also get to see ways that things change it it, it must be a really cool industry to to live and breathe in there's always something new in a way yeah <laughs> right in a way exactly in a sense uh-huh okay so we're gonna take a small break when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the back end of fashion i know we mentioned it briefly at the beginning but 
looking at how numbers, analytics, data impact uh, a lot of fashion trends. Uh, we've talked more about the social side of things, but I think there's an equally as important numbers side. And then I also want to talk about back-end impact of fashion, uh, maybe some some ways that fashion impacts the world that we haven't really thought about, or if we do, it's not the, the front focal point of fashion conversation, which would be um, mm. the ecological impact of the entire textile industry and how our younger generation is kind of helping change that for the better. So we'll be right back. All right, Jordan. So you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that at your position at Nike, you are looking a lot at trends, data analytics, mm-hmm. um, hard numbers to uh, sort of showcase trends in the industry mm-hmm. and also to help you set trends, you know, kind of give in to what yeah. consumers are looking for. So walk me through a bit of that realization when you found out like, wow, the fashion industry has a lot of numbers that go into it, a lot of a really, really important financial um, data back end. And how are you seeing that impacting those trends that we just talked about, which definitely have a social side, but I think, yeah, have that financial side and that data side as well. Sure. So I remember probably the clearest moment of realization was during the (laughs) intro level class of my degree at the University of Missouri. It was basic level, like the most uh, standard class. And it was kind of my first uh, educational venture into the industry. I, I had kind of bounced around majors before landing on this one. And we had this project where we had to develop a product line. We had to basically come up with our own fashion brand. And one component of that was doing uh, consumer research. And the outline of the assignment for the consumer, the instructions for the consumer research portion were pretty vague. But I found such a joy and a legitimacy to what I was finding that kind of fueled me and, and really excited me. And so that's when I started looking more at, okay, how does data, how does psychology almost um, play into retail, play into uh, fashion? Because still at that point, I was starting to think, I was still thinking that fashion was just the high-end luxury products or like the wild meat dresses of the world that really had no effect on me. Um, And so, yeah, it all stemmed from that assignment. And I really learned how brands follow the steps of identifying their target markets. They analyze what's trending. You have to know who your audience is, both on a demographic level and a psychographic level. And measuring the influence of what you're doing and what your competitors are doing. And there are thousands of people across thousands of brands that are analyzing what you and I buy on a daily basis. 
spooky. Yeah. And then using that data <laughs> to then hopefully improve their business angle. I mean, I, I guess for um, for some of that analytic stuff that you've been involved in, have you seen that consumer research directly impact the way that a company then markets um, a new style or pushes for um, for a certain brand in their stores. Uh, what has been sort of some some use case information that that you've um, that you've seen? Oh, absolutely. So this is um, kind of a tidbit from my own experiences, but um, you know we hear a lot about the. Uh, if you've heard of like K-pop and like K-beauty and Korean skincare, all of that has become so, so fashionable these days, right? Before, um, there were companies that operate exclusively out of Korea and their websites even were only in Korean. And now with consumer data, with people um, being so invested and people getting more uh, excited about it, all of a sudden we have a flagship beauty store of a Korean retailer in New York city and it's massive. And that wouldn't have happened without somebody analyzing the interests of American consumers. So that's just one tidbit, but you can see it all over the world. Um, and it's not just the U S exporting their brand and, and kind of placing American styles on, on the map. It's really about, in exchange. So importing and exporting styles throughout the world. So at Nike, there was just an expansion or a venture called Nike by Melrose. And so what that is, is in Los Angeles, there's this concept store in which they are thinking very globally, but acting very locally. So usually while brands and companies kind of segment by geographical area um, on a large scale. This Nike by Melrose is more to highlight the specific area that the store is in. And you're going to start seeing that a lot more with brands is thinking globally and acting locally. And that's a big shift because before, or like very early in the game, people thought with the internet, you kind of have a wide net to cast. You know, you just kind of put up a website and you start selling whatever you like and you have access to customers all over the world. What we're finding now and what Nike is doing with this Nike by Melrose venture is that that, that structure doesn't always work or is it starting to change? And so there's data showing that people want you know, that, that global, that cosmopolitan, that metropolitan feeling, but they want it to feel as though it's tailored, as though it's customized for them and their lifestyle in their city, in their neighborhood, even. And that's all because of data and seeing what people buy and offering them what might elicit the most amount of joy. And it's probably been so much easier to gather this data through e-commerce i feel um just because of of the fact that everything is online you don't have to compile trends based on based on inventory sold um like counting things in yeah. counting things like literally by hand or yeah. sort of just seeing the way that 
customers interact in your store and then the areas of the store that they go to. I mean, all brick and mortar experiences, I think, are still in. Like, you've yeah. seen a hit, but but they're starting to change their mentality. You know, brick and mortar now is becoming more a place for customers to have a one-of-a-kind experience more so than just exactly. for the convenience of buying things. But on the data side, what kind of impact have you seen e-commerce have on this ability to detect those trends and then respond to them at a, at a quick pace? Sure. So this isn't even just limited to the clothing or retail industry. I mean, my favorite coffee shop, you know, I have a little rewards card and they can see that, okay, every... <laughs> Friday at 5 p.m., Jordan's getting a Frappuccino. We're going to send out that coupon. Yeah. Or maybe start start offering, okay, buy a Frappuccino and get something else for free. You know, something like that. You see that in in clothing and um, through every industry. And so a good example are those rewards cards or those membership cards. It's not just to offer coupons. <laughs> it's a really easy way because of the the internet and how technology is so um, advanced these days. It's a really easy way to see what people are buying, who those people are, um, what they're buying it with, where, uh, what time, how many units. And that does, that might sound kind of big brother, right? <laughs> you know, kind of having all this data. Um, it's a big thing, you know, privacy, data privacy. But I I try to be as optimistic as I can. And it's really about bettering the business. And by doing that, or doing that by offering products that consumers want, because you don't want to walk into a store or shop around online and not find anything you like. That kind of wastes your time. That doesn't do any good for the the company. And so it does, it can sound kind of invasive. And there are definitely talks about, you know, data and privacy. but the intention is good and the t- technology is is extremely helpful. Well, it sounds like it's making your life easier at least, so that's that's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, the last topic that I wanted to hit on with you is just the concept of back-end impact in retail and fashion. I think that that conversation is something that isn't had as often, especially when we talk about the impact of the textile industry on the environment. Mm. Um, I I think that, well, more so now, it's probably becoming more of a conversation point um, because I I think we're starting to see just an interconnected society calling things out a little more frequently and a little more actively on social media Mm -hmm. and online. Like conversations like that are being had at a more rapid fire rate. Um, But yeah, talk to me a bit about that impact uh you know kind of how do you how is that let me try again um within the industry how is that conversation had uh you know the effect on the environment um and then how are you seeing consumers base their shopping habits on that sort of information sure so we hear a lot about companies going green and wanting to be green well what does that mean um, it's very easy to say, oh, look how green we are. But I think, admittedly, a lot of the big players that you see in the industry are a bit deceptive or not as transparent as they could be in their green efforts. And like you said, 
today, there's nowhere to hide. You know, customers are going to notice any and everything, and they're not afraid to uh, put it on social media to bring it to the brand's attention and demand change. And co- and companies are having to respond um, at a rapid fire pace because you know one incident and that that's the hit to business can be massive. You know, and before while companies could you know say they're green or hype up their efforts. These days, we're expecting a lot more transparency. And what I mean by companies being not as transparent or a bit deceptive. So with fast fashion a lot these days, you know, H&M, Zara, Forever 21, brands of this scale have massive levels of impact. And so while they might hype up their green efforts, you also have to think about how many styles they're bringing in. So sure, they might have this green line of clothing that is made from recycled fibers and everything. But that's still 400 new styles that they're shipping out to all their stores a week. And they're expanding those stores at, you know, 15, 20% each year. And so that takes a massive amount of resources to begin with, to manufacture, to ship, to merchandise in the stores, and then to build those stores. That's a lot of power and construction that has to happen each time these brands want to expand. And so while it might sound great that, you know, this brand is is purchasing the largest amount or is the largest purchaser of organic cotton, when that still only accounts for a small percentage of their product line, or it's still taking massive amounts of fuel to ship those products, you know, all the way from the other side of the world. It's not as green as consumers are led to believe. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, like, do you do you think it's even sustainable for brands to get that big and at the same time actually be environmentally conscious? Um, that is very hard to say. Um, from a personal standpoint, I think that fast fashion has become too big, that we're uh, as an industry, moving too fast and expecting customers to consume too much. There's a way to be financially solvent while still being good to the environment. And it's just a matter of streamlining. And that's kind of like where we talked about data, that data coming in and really only manufacturing and putting in your stores what consumer want, consumers want. Otherwise, it's a waste of product. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of time. And nobody wins. The company doesn't win. The shopper doesn't win. And the planet doesn't win. And so that's why data has become such an integral and kind of a surprising partner with brands' um, eco efforts. I know a big example, probably a very approachable and recognizable example is um, reusable bags. You know, you see a lot of these cloth kind of bags or people using them at grocery stores or when they're shopping instead of the plastic bags from retailers. Um, and brands, you know, really hype these up. Like, look how many bags that we've sold um, that, like, reusable, that were reusable. And that's wonderful. But you have to think of still the economic, or sorry, the environmental. Let me try that again. You have 
you have to think of the resources that went into those reusable bags. And so from a resource standpoint, the plastic bag actually has a very, very small carbon footprint because it takes such a little amount of material to make that that one use bag. And so and then recyclable or sorry, reusable bags require a lot more resources. And sure, you can use them over and over again. but you know, you kind of have to weigh those options. And I think that's where brands can be a bit more transparent and open about what they're doing. It's very much so about being smarter and clearer and thinking <laughs> logically about your decisions. Yeah, that seems like such a basic prerequisite for just conducting business <laughs> in a in a professional way is just like, okay, how can I be smart about this? How can I be resourceful? How, um, but you know, it's interesting that that is cutting edge right now in fashion. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just kind of funny, but, but yeah, I guess, I guess the last, very last thing I want to ask is how are you trying to be that change? You know, like what about your job? What about what you bring to the whole industry is wanting to push not only, a lot of this social acceptability and these social changes in fashion, but also more of the number changes and being smart and resourceful with your business while still finding ways to create items and create looks and fits that empower confidence. From kind of a personal standpoint, I suppose just in my own style or when I was working on the sales floor, I would very much try to help men feel confident in anything that looked interesting. So just because they saw something that um, was in a certain color or maybe in the women's section, technically, that doesn't mean that they can't try it on. They can't wear it. They can't express themselves. And so I made a really good, or I made a lot of effort personally and just kind of on that one-on-one one -on -one, um, level just that <laughs> low level, you know, just in my own kind of environment, trying to make men feel good about what they're wearing or what they like or that what they're drawn to from a professional level, because of because my job relies so heavily on sales data and analytics, that's where I'm going to be able to be more impactful currently on those environmental changes. So making sure that what we order what we put in our stores and have manufactured is the most eco-conscious that it can be and that we're being transparent about what we're doing to be eco-friendly and making sure what we put in our stores is what customers want to buy and we're not wasting resources. And that means time, money, land, labor, capital, the gamut. And so that's where... I can be most impactful in my current role is making sure that what I'm seeing and what I'm predicting as fashionable or, or that's selling well is not only fashionable, but ethical. Mm, fashionable and ethical. I might make that the title of this podcast. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> I love it. No, but I'm, I mean, it, it's good to know that there's someone behind the helm that is this passionate about the whole industry that 
is is seeking that kind of balance um, within fashion. So I'm excited to see where you take your career and where you take that passion because, uh, yeah, I, I think you're going to do big things. Well, thank you, Daniel. I, I hope to make you proud. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jordan, for coming on the podcast. I'm, I'm really glad we got this insight from you about the front end and the back end of fashion, um, you know, looking both at social changes and ethical changes, looking at the numbers of fashion. I mean, I feel like we got a really comprehensive look at the whole industry. So again, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Best of luck to you. And thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Wildfire. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes or some of our other podcasts, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Today's featured song was Smooth Life by Space Cadet. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, you can head to our site for a link to their song. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.